0: Hey church, I love being here with you, I love being here with you, and I want to say a bunch of other stuff, but I really want to talk to you about Luke 9. In our church, we have a liturgy, which is, the best way to engage the message is with, your, uh, with an open Bible, something to write with, and something to write on, so I'd encourage you to join my folks at Mosaic by finding something to write with and something to write on, just in case... The Holy Spirit speaks to you while I'm talking. So Luke 9 is where Jesus upgrades his disciples to apostle status. Up until now their training has been largely by osmosis but here in the first verses of Luke 9 they are given spiritual anointing of power and authority to along with a very specific fourfold task cast out demons cure diseases proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick i have to tell you i have been obsessed with these two verses in Luke 9 for years Every time I open them up, it's like I'm seeing them for the first time. The other night I thought to myself, I better check and make sure I've never talked about them at Asbury before. The first time I ever preached these verses was 10 years ago in this spot. So if you've been here 10 years, it's your own fault for still being (laughs) in the seminary. I'm fascinated by the contrast between what I read here and what I see in Western culture. So I keep reading this chapter, Luke 9, over and over. I keep preaching it over and over. Keep asking God to show me what supernatural ministry looks like for normal people. I don't have great answers for you this morning. I just want to share my question with you. What does this charge look like for Wesleyans? We have to admit, this is quite a calling for a bunch of misfits. Can I get an amen from the misfits? And not you, but people you know. These guys are told they now have both the authority and the power to do what they'd only seen one other person do. And what they saw was so remarkable that they assigned divinity to the man doing it. It must have been Stunning to be told that they would now be sent out with that expectation. Those regular, not the brightest bulbs in the box, people were sent out to drive out demons and cure diseases and proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. They would welcome and advance the kingdom of God by bearing fruit in their sentness. That is the first work of the twelve, sent out to do supernatural ministry. And that job description has not changed. There's a catch, of course, to this kind of sending. To drive out demons, you have to get within spitting distance of demon-possessed people, some of whom spit. To heal, you have to touch people with all manner of disease. To proclaim the kingdom, you have to associate with heathens. You have to get up close and personal with the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. That's the offer on the table because that, Jesus says, is how the kingdom comes. So unless I miss my guest, most of us in the western world do not have a wide experience with casting out demons and participating in physical healings. It happens in developing countries where first-generation Christians don't know any better. It's a bit of missional humor there. Of course, our friends in other countries know better. Many other countries, Christians are running circles around us right now in supernatural ministry. Our culture has come to accept our culture has come to accept an hour in church and a blessing before meals. Listen to me. Our culture has come to accept an hour in church and a blessing before meals as the center of the Christian gospel. Meanwhile, casting out demons, well, that's just weird. That we relegate to the fringe. Not all of us, but many of us who have not grown up in traditions that expose the wonders of God regularly. All many of us have are caricatures of spiritual fervor that look more like pride and insensitivity than the power of God. And we back way up from that. Because we don't want to be identified as that. Who wants to humiliate people? or, Or put ourselves out there into something we're not convinced is real? I get it. But folks, when I read in my Bible how Jesus defines for his followers what it means to be sent out and to represent the very best the kingdom has to offer this world, this is what I hear, that followers have power and authority to cast out demons, cure disease, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick. He gave power and authority. A friend in my community argues with me in a good way About the mark of the Holy Spirit in a life. I say, because I'm United Methodists that the mark of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural ability to love. I base my thoughts on Paul's teaching about the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22 the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control and you'll notice that love is the headwaters of that list. Our ability to love is not self-generated or self-taught. It comes to us directly from the Holy Spirit and so the mark of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural ability to love right my friend who happens to be Pentecostal argues that the mark of the Holy Spirit is power and he looks to Acts 1.8 for that. He says, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Clearly, Jesus wants his followers to know that power to evangelize would come with the call to go. You will receive power, Jesus tells them. Not you might receive power, or you're lucky if you'll receive. No, you will receive power. So which is it, love or power? The answer, wait for it, is yes. <laughs> I just pulled a Ben Witherington right there. Did y'all see me do that just then? I suspect we're both right. And that in kingdom terms, love and power are two ways of talking about the same thing. The kingdom, In the kingdom of God, love is power and power is always loving. Power is never self-serving, and power is never wimpy. Write that down. When Jesus gave the disciples power, it was the kind of power that drove them out to heal, along with a broken heart for those who hurt. Love drove them out to meet people exactly where they were, but they were equipped with power strong enough to Cast out demons and overcome disease. In other words, they were not sent out with raw power and no heart. They were sent out as Christ-bearers to be and do incarnational ministry in both the love and the power of Jesus Christ. And that brings up a critical point made in Luke 9.1. Kingdom power and kingdom authority are gifts from God. We don't generate kingdom power on our own steam. Our power and authority to carry out supernatural ministry are given to us as gifts and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we must, listen to me, we must pursue an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Without Him, we're sunk. Do not let them give you a diploma if you haven't gotten the Holy Spirit while you're here. You paid for that. I want you to hear me? Getting to this point is crucial. Do not attempt supernatural ministry on your own strength, because here's the thing: you can actually do ministry without the, the Holy Spirit. You can do all kinds of good things without supernatural power. Red Cross is a whole lot better at doing ministry, humanistic ministry with people than the church is. Lots of times, lots better. But God didn't call you to be a social worker. God called you to do supernatural ministry all day, every day. People operate out of their own giftedness, on their own authority, driven by ambition or fear. Let me get a quiet amen from the room here on that. Or even do, or even out of a good heart or good intentions. All day, every day, people go out there and do people-centered ministry instead of person-centered ministry. You get that, right? Can I offer you a word of advice? Thank you. Don't do that. Because the worst thing that can happen to you is not that you will burn out, but that you won't. And you'll go years, decades even, the length of a career, and never Tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And while it will look like you're doing good ministry, you're actually just breeding death. Listen, I've done the exegesis. And I can say with absolute authority that there is nothing in Luke 9 or anywhere in the Bible about dispensing the Holy Spirit with an eyedropper. I'm going to let that sink in a minute. Our call is to receive the power and authority offered to us by Christ himself. And on the resurrection side of this story, that includes the Holy Spirit. And then go out boldly as he sins to drive out the darkness and expose the kingdom of God. That's our call. If we're going to give the world a better definition of church and do it without burning out, then we need, we need, oh, we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He gave them power and authority to cast out demons. And it's funny, isn't it? When Jesus says that, it sounds like the most normal thing in the world. Hey, y'all, let's go down to Starbucks and cast out some demons. How has that become so rare in real-time ministry? Surely Jesus meant for Methodists to have the Holy Spirit too. Not manipulative, not measuring a person's capacity to be healed by the quality of their faith, not blaming them for their diseases, but assuming faith in a supernatural God who longs to expose His glory and defeat the darkness. A partnership with a supernatural God who does supernatural things. Write this question down and wrestle with it. What does it look like when Wesleyans embrace supernatural ministry? What does it look like when Wesleyans embrace supernatural ministry? Can we learn that? And let that become an expectation on the journey of sanctification. My ministry is mostly experimental. Inner healing has been a place where I've seen the most fruit. I've prayed for people to be physically healed and I've seen some results. And I've had the experience on more, m- multiple occasions of seeing a demon leave someone's body. One stands out for me. This guy had come into my office to complain And that day he was in a seriously contrary mood. He complained about everything. And he went on and on and on. And his complaints became more and more personal. And eventually I'd had enough. And it may not have been my best pastoral moment. (laughs) But I began to, let's just say, discuss with some vigor how I felt about his opinions. And immediately, listen, immediately... As I began to speak, I had the sense that the person to whom I was speaking and talking to was not the flesh and blood man in front of me, but a demon inside his chest. So my eyes were drawn to his chest, and I began to speak directly to the demon I perceived there, and the experience became pretty intense pretty quickly. I'm sure I was louder than I meant to be. I was clinging to some authority that rose up within me, and I was not about to let that thing, whatever it was, get the upper hand in my office. So I kept yelling at it until I sensed it was gone. And a moment after I went silent, that guy who never moved, never said a word while I was yelling at his chest, he stared at me. And we're just sitting there staring at each other. And then he sank down in his chair as if he were lifeless, or more accurately, deathless. He didn't fall out of the chair, but I could see all the energy it took to hold himself up was gone and we stayed there and i'm just like you know ninja person for a few beats and the man and then the man looks at me and he says it's gone i feel absolutely no anger in fact i can't make myself get angry with you right now it's gone and so we prayed again and he left my office he told me later that he could barely get himself to his truck in the parking lot he stayed in the truck for about 30 minutes before he left he went home and he slept the rest of the day he did not become perfect after that but he respected the church after that so do I believe we have power and authority to cast out demons yes I do and I also believe the Lord longs to see his, his church acting as if He is a supernatural God and ours is a supernatural power and our sentness is to the same things that called the Israelites out of Egypt. It is a call to choose life and reject death. This is a rabbit trail. We serve in an apartment complex in downtown Augusta for low and no income adults with disabilities. We go down there every other week with food and prayer, and we get these long lists of prayer requests. And so a couple of weeks ago, I'm praying the list of Maxwell House prayer requests. And Jan needs help finding dental insurance to get dentures. And Jamelia wants complete healing from her recent stroke. Dixie doesn't want to be alone for the holidays. And then buried in this long list of requests was this. Roger asks that Satan would soon be thrown into the fiery pit. And I get to that one and I said, yes, yes, Roger, yes. I am praying in agreement with you, you crazy man, that that Satan would be thrown into the fiery pit and sooner the better. It looks to me from Luke 9 like we have permission to pray that prayer with confidence and to trust that our prayers and our spirit-desperate ministry will, it will participate with the Holy Spirit in doing just that. So Roger, you hang on because Jesus wins. Jesus gave His followers power and authority to cast out demons and cure disease and heal the sick. One of our people was dealing with a chronical physical condition that didn't seem to get better no matter what treatments they tried. Eventually, the doctor told my friend he'd need surgery, which worried him because his health hadn't been great for some time. He worried that the surgery might do him in. He really whipped himself up into a serious spirit of fear over this, and he came to me for prayer, and he shared his deep anxiety over his situation. Started naming for me all the reasons why this surgery would be the death of him. And then I sensed this nudge of the Holy Spirit because sometimes a prophetic word can be the healing word too. And so I sensed this nudge from the Holy Spirit to ask, what if you live? And the Holy Spirit, who is partial to life, fell on him and he left my office that day already in process of healing. And he's still alive. I learned from that experience that sometimes, maybe not every time, but at least sometimes the illness may be physical, but the disease is spiritual. It wasn't the physical illness that tried to stop my friend from living. It was the dis-ease of fear. When the prospect of life arrived on the scene, the dis-ease lost all its power and authority over this man's life. Sometimes supernatural ministry simply means proclaiming the kingdom over dead people and calling them to life. I am not that great at figuring out when a person's physical illness is really just a manifestation of some sin sickness or spiritual confusion. Probably they can't tell you either. If they could tell you, they probably have already cured themselves. But in the absence of knowing, I subscribe to the Nike school of thought. Just do it. Just do it. Just pray for people, pray for them. When I pray, I remind Jesus. He told me. I claim James 5. You told me when somebody's sick that they're supposed to come to the elders of the church and the elders of the church are supposed to lay hands on them and anoint them with oil and pray. And the prayer of the righteous... And I'm trying, Jesus. The prayer of the righteous is supposed to heal the sick. That's what the Word says. I just tell him. you told me to pray for things. And most of what doesn't happen is not because... Jesus, you don't show up, but because I don't ask. And so, Jesus, I am praying right now, and I am trusting. That's how I do it. Just just do it. Just pray. Pray believing. Lay hands on people. Call the darkness out. Keep on praying for people to be healed, saved, and delivered. And even if nobody ever gets healed, saved, and delivered on your watch, at least you did what you were sent out to do. And on the days when you don't believe it will ever happen, pray anyway. And here's the thing, Mike Pilavachi says this, if you're wrong, nobody dies. If you pray and nothing obvious happens, at least you prayed. This is, this is funny, later in Luke 9, the disciples go to Jesus and say, Hey Jesus, we saw somebody driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he isn't one of us. Like, they know everything because they've been doing this for all of five minutes and they are the healing masters. Jesus said, seriously, y'all, stop it. That's a direct translation. If he isn't against us, if he's driving out death, then maybe, just maybe, somebody might live. So he sent them out. To cast out demons, cure disease, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick. Which is to say, heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Cast out demons and proclaim the kingdom. Cure diseases and proclaim the kingdom. If you don't do the second part, the first part doesn't matter. The driving reason we cast out death is so God can pour in life. Dennis Prager is a Jewish man who has written extensively on this topic of life and death in the Israelite worldview. He talks about the Egyptian preoccupation with death. Their Bible was called the Book of the Dead. Their greatest monuments were pyramids, which are basically oversized caskets. As pagans, the Egyptians were everything the kingdom of God was not. So when God brought the Israelite people up out of slavery in Egypt, He had to totally reorient their thinking. Hundreds of years of wrong theology had to be dismantled. The work in the desert then was the work of learning how to live against a pull backward into a culture of death. So the book of Leviticus which has to be the most misunderstood book in the Bible, is actually all about life. When we, What we eat, what we wear and watch and get entertained by, who we choose for intimacy, all those rules in Leviticus that sound like they are sucking the fun out of life are actually about rejecting the culture of death imposed by the Egyptians so God's chosen people could choose life in every detail of living it. And if that is a fair interpretation then Luke 9, in Luke 9, Jesus is just paraphrasing Leviticus. And when Leviticus teaches the Jews to rid their houses of every speck of yeast, maybe they were just practicing for Luke 9. When Jesus sends his followers out with power and authority to look for signs of death, Signs of Egypt, signs of the anti-kingdom, and he tells them, wherever you see him, wherever you see him, demons, disease, sickness, you cast out death and proclaim life over my people. Be foolish about it if you must. Be lavish about it if you can. You are not being sent out from this place with an eyedropper full of the Holy Spirit so you can run a non-profit. You are being sent out with power and authority to cast out demons, cure disease, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick. You are being sent out to to claim victory over the culture of death. And every day, every day, every day, you go out there swimming in the Holy Spirit, claiming your authority over life. Will you stand? So I say this a lot. This is your ride. This is your ride. We're all adults in this room, right? And you choose what you receive when the Word of God is preached. It's your ride. I learned that from my spin class instructor, When you're you're in a dark room and they tell you you need to turn the gear up, nobody knows if you've really turned the gear up, and you can make it look like you're trying really hard when you're really not. And then one day he said to me, it's your ride. So my friends, this is your ride. If you want to fall on your face, it's your ride. If you want to get on with your day, it's your ride. But I'm telling you, don't leave here without the Holy Spirit. If you're not sure what your call is pulling you toward next, it's your ride, this is your place, it's your time. Do you believe that Jesus can speak to you right here today? You, who are clueless about what you're going to do when you get a diploma, do you believe he can speak to you today? Do you believe he can anoint you with power and authority to cast out demons and cure disease and proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick? Do you believe that? So Jesus, my prayer right now is that you would give us in this room the courage to fall on your mercy. Fall on your mercy, Jesus. Fall on your mercy and beg you for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we plan to do. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. You're invited to come.